0: So, uh, last week, uh, I, I, last week somebody told me that uh, every week that I forgot to release the kids, the Redskins lost, and they said, listen, if you release the kids, the Redskins might win, but the truth is, I don't want the Redskins to win anymore, because we're going for that draft pick, so, no, I'm just kidding, if you're a, if you're a little guy, please, please feel free to go, and uh, thank you so much for, for staying through the song, and what a great morning so far, huh? What a great morning. We're going to continue to look at Ephesians. Now we're in chapter 4 already. We are flying through. And so I'm going to read it this morning, and then we're going to go back through and, and kind of break it apart. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. And, and something I forgot to mention during announcements. Um, if you've noticed, I use the English Standard Version for the most part when I preach. Um, Everybody has different translations that they prefer, and, and maybe you like to bring a paper copy of the Bible with you, a hard copy of the Bible, and it's hard for you to follow along between New King James or NIV or, or whatever you use. There's actually some English Standard Bibles out there that um, are completely free. Take one. They're paperback. And if you would like that so that you're able to follow along on Sunday morning with a hard copy of the Bible, you are more than welcome to do so. So they're sitting out in the lobby. There's a good number of them. Uh, Kendall brought them for us, and it's a a real blessing to be able to to, um, offer those this morning. Verse 1 says this, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high... by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, we ask this morning that as we walk through this text, Lord, that you would make your truth clear. Lord, may it be your truth this morning. Father, we thank you that you've given us your truth. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to hear what you want us to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. So we spent the past couple of weeks looking at how we are a unified body, how how before God positionally, right, Jews and Gentiles were now one. Right? They were now one. But, but now Paul switches a little bit in his letter and goes to a conversations, uh, a corporate conversation regarding the church. And talk about family life. Let's look at verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at what that prisoner for the Lord means. And if you weren't here a couple of weeks ago, well, what Paul is saying is my circumstances aren't greater than my God. And so if I'm a prisoner, it's because God's allowed me to be a prisoner. There's a purpose in it. There's a purpose in what I'm going through, and there's a reason for it. And in our lives, sometimes I think we feel like prisoners to certain things. We feel held captive, maybe by a certain disease or by a certain situation. And the reality of it is, is that if God has allowed you to be there, there's a reason for it. Maybe it's to teach you a lesson. For Paul, is that he would be able to spread the gospel. He urges those to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which they have received. How how do you walk in a way that's worthy of your calling? William MacDonald said, a worthy walk is one that is consistent with a Christian's dignified position as the member of the body of Christ. Paul goes on to explain, he says, listen, I want you to walk with humility, with gentleness, with patience, and bearing with each other in love. Humility, gentleness, and patience. think about those three words for a minute. Those three words are not something that you are taught in our culture today. right? They're very countercultural. As a matter of fact, humility is often looked at as a weakness. Our culture is very self-centered, right? Have it your way. Right? I love Burger King. But that's their motto, isn't it? Have it your way. Again and again and again, I remember there was a commercial. Uh, for a cell phone company, and, and it was all about they, they target you, right? They they want to make you feel like yes, I deserve this, I earn this, I am up here. And, and the commercial was all about data, having more data, right? And the, it was about you deserve more data. Why? <laughs> Why? Paul says, listen, I, I want you to walk with humility, with gentleness. Gentleness is often viewed as a weakness. Why are you gentle? Be strong. I think you can actually be gentle and strong. What about patience? Patience is often realizing that you're not the one in control. Very countercultural, isn't it? Paul says, I want you to walk in this way with humility, gentleness, and patience. To maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. To keep peace among the assembly, among the brethren, among among the believers who are gathered together. And and, and I'm convinced. The older I get, the more I'm convinced that at some point in our lives, we will walk into a church where there's great division. (laughs) Right? Right? maybe you've been in a situation like that before. Do you think that all of the people involved were showing gentleness, humility, and patience? See, I think if we were, things would look a lot different. One of the crazy things about this is that Paul is in prison, right? He's under house arrest. And he's preaching patience, right? Look, I'm in this situation. It's not fun. I'm tied up to a guard every single night, right? The guard probably smells terrible. I don't have my freedom. But I want us to be patient. What if we were willing to truly love each other this way? With gentleness, humility, patience, and bearing with each other in love. I wonder how many churches would actually split. I wonder how we would be known as Christians in our culture if we truly loved this way. And what I think is, it speaks to church unity, but it's also an important reminder to each of us individually that we need to go before God and ask him to help us with this. Galatians 5, and 23 says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Paul says, listen, I, I want you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you are received. How do you do that? It's in the Spirit, right? It's not on Tony's strength or on Tony's terms. It's what God does in my life. And if you're in a, walking with the Lord, it makes a huge difference. John 13, 35 says this, and we looked at this a couple of weeks ago, but by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. See, I think if we truly live this way, if we truly love this way, if we truly acted this way, then would our churches be known for love? And as I was working through this and and processing and thinking, I, I, I just wrote down something and I said, you know, let us be known. Mount Vernon, right? Let us be known in each of our communities, right? It's not just Oxford and Quarryville. Some of you live in Nottingham or Little Britain or anybody else from farther away? Where? Parksburg. Parksburg. How about where else? You live in Maryland? Northeast. All right, that's right. Represent, right? Represent. But would we be known, we should be known for that in our community. For standing together. For a church that's unified, that loves one another, that takes care of one another and works with one another. Verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And this speaks to the unity that we have together. We're one body. Together we make up one body. There's one spirit who lives in each and every one of us. It's not that I have a different Holy Spirit than you do, it's the same spirit. We have one hope. There's one God. Contrary to what you might hear, there is only one God. We have one faith it's a Christian faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. I don't know if you've ever heard of Joni Erickson Tata before. Um, if you haven't heard her testimony, it's, it's pretty amazing. Uh, but, but she, she wrote or, or said this, it's, Believers are never told to become one. We already are one. We're expected to act like it. Believers are never told to become one. We already are one and are expected to act like it. And I just thought that was such a great summary of what Paul has been writing so far that we are all one. No matter how much you like the person next to you, don't look at your spouse. (laughs) Verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. This section in Ephesians 4 is one of the more highly debated parts of Paul's letter. Um, And maybe even one of the more highly debated parts of the whole New Testament. And it brings up a conversation which we're we're not going to have enough time this morning to work through it all. But I I just want to make sure I present to you the two thoughts that are thought about Ephesians 4, 8 to 10, um, more than 7 to 10. The first one is that this is referring when Christ descended, that he descended to earth, to Bethlehem. We know about that, right? In Bethlehem, the cross, he rose again. The second train of thought that goes along with this is referring to, and maybe you're familiar with the Apostles' Creed. Do you know what the Apostles' Creed is? Right? It's kind of. I just want to clarify. It's not inspired Scripture, right? But but it's almost like an interdenominational statement of faith, kind of. When you think about uh, different churches and how they'll use it, and sometimes churches change different words, but there's a statement in the Apostles' Creed, and it's He descended to hell. If you're familiar with it, he descended to hell. And and some people will take Ephesians 4 8 to 10 as a part of that greater conversation, right? The word hell actually referring more to what would be called Hades, right? And Hades had two parts it had Abraham's bosom and the part where um, those who were condemned. It wasn't a purgatory, right? But it was a place where they were waiting for the Messiah to come or for judgment to come. And so some people will take Ephesians 4, 8 to 10, and it's referring to that. I'm going to let you decide (laughs) which one and which side you feel applies more to the passage. Both, I think, are applicable. I think both can be taken out of the passage. The conversation of of Shoal, of Hades, is is a much larger conversation than we have time to look at this morning, and so I'm not trying to just give you a surface level, um, but that's really all that we have time to deal with this morning. Um, Whether or not it's referring to one or the other, or both, it emphasizes something. That we see in verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. God gives gifts. We, we know the conversation of, of spiritual gifts. We, we talk about it. Maybe you've done a spiritual gift inventory before and, and you, you think you know, your spiritual gift is, maybe it's mercy or it's, it's uh, generosity or it's hospitality or it's teaching and, and you've went through this, this list. So the truth is this, and it's important for us to remember because sometimes it's easy for us to make those gifts about us when they were never about us. They were given to us by God. They're God's mercy to us. His grace to us and giving us those gifts. And here we see five different titles of of people in ministry. We have apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. And and, um, the apostles were those who were given a call directly from God. They'd seen Christ himself, right? And the reason Paul was an apostle was because on the road to Damascus, he saw Jesus. speaks of the prophets, those who had been given a message from God. Evangelists. When I was thinking of evangelists, there was one person that came to my mind, and it was Billy Graham. Remember Billy Graham? The Lord used Billy Graham in a way beyond our explanation to preach to thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people. When I think of someone who had been gifted as an evangelist, I think of Billy Graham. And the way he could communicate across cultures and generations. And you say, that was God working in the life of that man. But why were these people gifted this way? It was to equip the saints, right? The saints being all of the believers for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. See, God's given us different gifts, and again, this is is just a small list. We can look at Romans 12 or other lists that list spiritual gifts in the Bible. But the perspective is this, that we are to be strengthened and to reach others. For the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. See, we, we talk sometimes about church being for the edification of the believer, right? Do you know what that means, church for the edification of the believer? To, to strengthen spiritually, to grow spiritually. We talk a lot about discipleship. But that doesn't mean that we keep our faith to ourselves. See, if we're living a gospel-centered, a gospel-focused life, it naturally leads to multiplication. Right? If I'm truly focused in my life on Jesus Christ and on what he's told me to do, it's going to lead me to conversations with other people about salvation. And a question that we have to ask ourselves, and I remember reading this one time, is, is if we truly believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven, and we truly say that we're not ashamed, then why aren't we telling people about it? Why do we wait until Sunday morning to talk about it? And maybe you do. Maybe you have conversations with people regularly. But I know statistically the church in America, we keep our mouths shut regarding the one who gave his all for us. You know, we don't just come to church on Sunday morning to shake hands and say hi, talk about our week, Collect shoeboxes. Have different events. We come to recharge our spiritual batteries because the Bible says that there's a war going on out there. A spiritual battle for the souls of people. And God has given us gifts. Each and every one of us. If you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, you've surrendered your life to him, you are a part of the family of God, then he's given you gifts. Different gifts. And they all work together to strengthen the body. But we're to build up the body together. Verse 13. Until we all, Let me actually go back to verse 11 and read through it, and we can get the whole context of the passage here. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers You know, there were different forms of thought rising up in Asia during the time that Paul would have wrote this letter. Similar to what we see today, the truth is that Satan is always looking for new ways to kill and destroy, to deceive, to blind the eyes of people. And I think what we have to ask ourselves is this. How do we keep the pen from falling off? No. <laughs> How are we to know what is true? How are we to know what is right, what is correct? What if something looks good? What if it sounds good? What if it, what if it just it brings me in and it captivates me? It has to be good, right? What if there's a Bible verse used? It has to be good, right? Paul says, listen, here, here, here's the point. I, Jesus has given gifts to these people. That we can build up the body so that you can grow in your faith. That you can become mature in your faith. John Maxwell, in Developing the Leader Within You, he wrote this. There was a group of tourists that were visiting a picturesque village. Right, You can just picture it right now. Let's say it's somewhere in Italy. Beautiful buildings. It's just a wonderful time to get away. And and, uh, the tourists, they, they see this old man sitting there. And they walk up in a kind of patronizing way, the one guy says to the old man, he says, "Uh, were were any great men born in this village? And the old man said, nope, only babies. John Maxwell, he continues, he says this, every person who is a born again believer starts life as a baby in Christ. Whether the new convert is six or 60, the person is still a new Christian and needs to grow in the Lord. A baby Christian who has been saved for 40 years is a tragedy. God intends for us to grow and mature, that we can be a positive influence in the lives of others until we learn to dig into the meat of the Word ourselves. We will never grow. The, the, the truth is today, especially in America, we are blessed beyond any generation, any culture before in history. You can read the Bible. You can listen to the Bible. You can, If you don't understand the, the version you're reading, you can read a paraphrase. right? You can purchase a commentary and learn the history. You can look at um, the Greek and the Hebrew. You can find all of those things online and they're explained to you. You can look at Bible dictionaries. And most of those things are completely free. We have no excuse for not reading the word of God. We have no excuse for not digging our roots deeper into the ground. But we do. That's one of the reasons I encouraged you to read Ephesians every week in this series. Is that we get in the habit of regularly studying God's word. I don't know how many of you guys uh, are on Facebook or, or other things like that, but um, Instagram, YouTube, you can, you can listen to uh, pastors from just about any church, <laughs> just about anywhere. And sometimes it sounds so good, doesn't it? Things that are said. Sometimes they're wrong. Sometimes it's a different gospel that's being preached. And I'm not speaking of one person in particular. There isn't even someone that's going through my head right now, but it's just the reality of it. But it sounds good, and we buy into it. Maybe you share it. You're spreading the same word. See, we don't have an excuse for that. Because we have God's word. It's been given to us. Many of us have so many copies of the Bible at home that you can't even count them because you don't know how many copies you have. Are you growing in your faith? Last week we we sang that old song, remember, read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. You know, it speaks to the importance of us growing individually, but... But you know, one of, the, one of the great things about this letter, and, and I love in verse 13, is Paul says this. Look at the first four words. Until we all attain. Until we all. This is a, a picture of us as a corporate body. We grow together. We want to be a church whose roots are planted so deep. That when teaching happens contrary to Scripture, that when you're going through something, you're like, wait a minute, that's, that's not right. And that doesn't mean we can't disagree on certain things, because I'm sure we do. Right? Some of you might like to take communion out of a little glass, and some of you might want the, the whole cup and share. I'm just kidding. No, that would be a, a health thing, kind of, right? So the person in front of you coughs and you don't want to take communion that week anymore. Um, but, but no, but we have differences. And that's okay. The gospel is what unifies us. See, throughout all of our differences, we have something that is so much greater. We have one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all, through all, and in all. Paul says this, in the last two verses we're going to look at this morning, he says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow, so it builds itself up in love. You know, through the gentleness, humility, and patience that we have with each other, it doesn't mean that we do not speak the truth in love. That's part of what love is, right? Being able to truly speak the truth in love, the gentleness, patience, humility, that, that shapes it a little bit, doesn't it? The way we talk to each other. I, uh, I was watching last night Penn State football game. Right? We are. What a great game last night. Anybody else watch it? Anybody else watch it? Go. Are you a Penn State fan? Okay, good. Good, I was going to say you can't play up front if you're not a Penn State fan. No, I'm just kidding, but it was, it was a great game. It was a great game, but there was one play in particular where, where um, K.J. Hamler, he, he broke free, he was a wide receiver, and the guy who was supposed to cover him wasn't able to get there. The defense had been set up. They're a team. They were one. But they were only able to stop them if each part worked together and did their job. And there must have been miscommunication or something because he scored a 56-yard touchdown. I think it was awesome, right? It was so great. But I'm sitting there thinking through this, and I'm thinking, huh, that's kind of like us. God's given each person different gifts. And we need you to function healthy as a body. That's why we we talk about serving in the church so much is because if you're a Christian, God's given you a gift that you need to put to use. Don't let it sit there. Don't let it sit there. Because we want to grow together as a body. Be strengthened as a body. And the truth is, if if you're a bodybuilder and you want to grow stronger in your whole body, you don't just lift weights with one arm all day, do you? That arm might become strong. But the rest of your body becomes weak. We need each other. Together we're stronger. And we are one. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, we thank you. That, Lord, despite our differences, as Paul continues to remind us, we're one. We have one hope, one faith, one Lord. Father, we we know that you have given us gifts, and maybe some this morning aren't exactly sure what their gifts are. Lord, may, may you make them clear. And Father, encourage us all to use them for your glory. Father, may Mount Vernon be a church that's known for its love, for its gentleness, patience. May we be known as Christians, Father, as, as being countercultural in that way. Father, when, when people think of, of an example of unity, may this church shine as that example of unity, despite differences. Father, may you always be glorified in the way that we live our lives. And may we stand united as one. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with us as we sing this uh, last song.